quick PSA for our listeners who are U.S. citizens. The 2020 election season is now upon us, and it is so important that you make your voice be heard. Please go to www.vote.org to find out all voting information you might need, and be sure to vote early. Again, that website is www.vote.org. Plan your vote and enjoy the show. Please bear with us as we had some slight audio difficulties during this recording. Computer, initialize Holosuite. Holosuite Media. Listeners, and welcome to There Are Four Questions, a Star Trek Spotlight podcast. I'm your host, Christopher D. Littlefield, and in the interrogation chamber with me today is Trek superfan and badass cosplayer Sally Seagraves. Sally, how are you today? I'm doing very well, Christopher. Thank you for having me on. Oh, it's so good to have you on. We've interacted a little bit on Twitter, and you commented on one of the open channel posts and said some really cool, intriguing things. So I'm so glad that you were available to join me today. Yeah, no, I've been looking forward to it pretty much since I commented on the last one. So I'm really excited. Yeah, listeners, if you don't know what I'm talking about, on our sister show, Open Channel, there was a topic about uh, asking Trek fans who their favorite non-lead captain character was. And Sally here said some really incredible, amazing things about Dr. Bashir that just blew my mind and really moved me. So I had to reach out and see if they were available today. And today, Sally is in an incredible Garrick cosplay that you will see when this episode comes out. And it is freaking amazing. Thank you so much. Yeah, I wanted to have something special. Um, I was going to do some story recording this week and I wanted to make something new. So I'm glad to share it with you. It's, it's awesome. Listeners, this podcast is all about interviewing Star Trek fans, podcast hosts, and other very special guests like Sally here and asking them, you guessed it, four questions related to their Star Trek experience. To join the conversation on Facebook, type the Nexus into the search field and join our listeners community. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at 4QuestionsTrek. That's the number four not spelled out. All right, Sally, let's go ahead and get started. Please keep in mind that as the interrogator, I reserve the right to ask any follow-up questions in order to obtain additional intelligence that I might need. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right, question one. Let's start with the obvious. You put in a lot of time and creative energy into expressing your Trek fandom through cosplay. How did all of that start for you, and what do you think is distinct about your personal brand of cosplay? Sure. Um, I started cosplaying around the end of 2013. At that time, I was getting ready for my very first convention, which was Star Trek Las Vegas in 2014. And I had been looking at the website, getting my tickets and everything. And it seemed like all of the pictures I saw, everybody was dressed up. So I was like, oh, I have to dress up. Who am I going to be? What am I going to do? You know, I didn't know how to sew. I didn't know how to do makeup really at all. So it was a lot to dive into, but I thought it was kind of an expected part of the event. So I brought two costumes, one that I made and then one that I had ordered from someone to tailor for me specifically. And throughout the process of watching her create a costume for me and kind of doing my own, I saw how expensive and how labor intensive it was to have something professionally made. And there are a lot of incredibly talented people who make these things from scratch. 
But I found at the same time that I had just as much fun in the thing that I made out of a jacket I bought at Goodwill and some hot glue. So um, that's kind of the style that I've taken since then. And my personal brand is kind of sharing just how great you can look, even as a beginner, even if you can't sew, I have alternatives that you can use. So I want to share my costs, my process, and just really try and be transparent about how I got to the finished product so that beginners can feel the confidence to try it themselves. That's great. I love it. And I would definitely say that I don't think you've ever looked like a beginner cosplayer. I've looked through the different pictures and stuff and it's... Thank you. Yeah, it's really, really impressive. And to do it on a thrifty budget is is just incredible. And to be able to get the quality that you do is is mind-blowing. Thank you. Yeah, it, a lot of people, when you see a cosplayer, you see a, an edited uh, photo and it looks professional and it's incredible. And I just want to show the other side of that. It's like, I can look that way too, but you know, here's a mistake I made. Here's what I spent to make this. Here's the ingredients that I took kind of a shortcut on. So I just want people to know kind of the backstory behind that and to know they can still look great at the end. That's awesome. And that's kind of really at the root of Trek when it began. Mm-hmm. You know, you had like a razor on a cardboard thing for a shuttlecraft. Like, you yeah. know, it was really low budget and like, yeah. you know, spending on a dime to try and get the best bang for your buck. So yeah, it, it keeps in the tradition of what how Trek started. Thank you. I'm glad you mentioned that because I one of my bios somewhere is like in the tradition of, you know, the costume department that reused the same pieces week after week or borrowed them from another film set that was in the area. Right. And that's all I'm trying to do. I'm like, oh, here's a shirt. I'm going to add some design to it and see what we can get out of it. Nice. And you've gotten a lot of good feedback and and from other people. I think so. Yeah. Um, The best thing that I get is when people reach out and it's their first time cosplaying. That's always just really exciting for me to see and to share in their excitement as they go on this journey because it's changed my life and to see them at the beginning of it really humbles me. Oh my God. That's like giving me (laughs) warm fuzzies already. How great. That's cool. Oh, I'm sure I'll strang later. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, let's move on to question number two and get a little bit deeper. All right. This is along the lines of the the topic that initially you you reached out to us for, which was LGBTQ plus identification and Mm -hmm. representation, which is built into the DNA of Star Trek. Yeah. As a member of the queer community, how has that search and discovery evolved for you personally throughout the years and different iterations of Trek? I thought that was a wonderful question. And I love that you bring up that it's so ingrained in the DNA of Star Trek, because from the very beginning, we saw the creation of modern fandom as we know it. And we saw the creation of zines and of slash as a term that was originated in our community. So I agree. It's all really deeply connected to the series. Uh, My first exposure to Star Trek was in 2009. I saw the reboot movie in theaters. I was really charmed by it. And I wanted to see the backstory. So I went through and watched the shows on Netflix in the order they aired. So when I was exposed to TOS, when I was watching it for the first time, I was watching it with the knowledge that there were at the time 40 years of fan contributions to go alongside it. So I think that really did shape my perception of it. Um, I saw what I saw on screen, but then I learned to see the subtext that I could read in a zine. 
alongside it as far as especially Kirk and Spock's relationship. But just what I saw on screen was really enhanced by what I knew of the fandom at the time. From there, I went into TNG and I, I didn't see as much of the representation there as I was expecting. I feel like a lot of the subtext was always marred with an ending that, you know, it, it would end in exposure or um, conversion therapy, or it would end in, well, the character has to die, or they were wrong all along and we need to take the right side. Um, so that was kind of a disappointment to me. By the time I got to DS9, um, I think that that just, that changed so much for me. Um, by then I was in college and DS9 really introduced me to a lot of parts of my identity that I didn't have names for quite yet. So I, I feel like I'm home when I watch it. I feel accepted when I see it and when I interact with other fans. And that's been really important to me. I mean, there, there are a lot of popular interpretations of all of the characters. Um, I think a lot of us still agree that Garrick is gay, that a lot of people see Kira as a lesbian. Those are some pretty common ones. Um, I think it's also got really good transgender representation. Um, like I see Julian that way, but then... It's really hard to argue that Jadzia and Esri aren't a story of a transgender person. So I think that's really just spectacular writing. Yeah. And using the alien culture to show us our own culture is just so cool. Oh, yeah, for sure. Can you can we talk about the Bashir we can. stuff a little bit more? Well, we can. <laughs> because I, I don't know that all of the listeners listening to this episode listen to the other show as well. But you had mentioned that you saw a lot of not only neurodivergent representation with Julian Bashir, mm -hmm. but also trans representation. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, um, absolutely. So, of course, it all comes down to the episode where we find out that he's augmented and that he's at odds with his parents, which I think is something a lot of people in this community can relate to um, because they have this image defined as how they wanted him to be. And they wanted him to be better. They thought he was subpar. And I think that's something a lot of us relate to as well. Um, the fact that they end it all with them calling him a name that he doesn't like anymore and he's not going to take that anymore, I think is a really powerful moment. And to see him, I mean, I wish that the parents had gotten in more trouble, honestly, but to see him kind of to lash out at them and be like, what you did to me was wrong. Not accepting me for who I was because you weren't happy with it isn't acceptable. And I think they, they should have, you know, endured a little bit more, a little bit more argument there, but you've got to keep the episode within the time frame, I guess. Yeah, I, I had never thought about, I had never thought about that with Bashir. Mm. And so I was glad, so glad that you brought that up because as you mentioned, kind of the, the lack of acceptance from our parents as, as people in the LGBTQ plus community mm -hmm. is far, far, far too common and looking back now and seeing that type of story told in Star Trek, it's like, oh, wow, this actually this this actually is really it's so similar. Yeah. You know, I feel I feel that now. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I think the same about the neurodivergent idea. When you go back and rewatch from the beginning with his augmentation in mind. Right. You start to see little clues of it. You know, you start to see him falter when. Like if someone calls him sir, he's a little he's a little nervous about that. He's like, no, just call me Julian. He wants to be mm. accepted as Julian. And it's I just really love that. That really that really is nice. Yeah. 
That's really great. And then again, with the name, the name situation, just going back with, you know, trans individuals with their gender and the name that they're assigned at birth, Mm -hmm. and then the name that many people end up choosing for themselves and then refer to their their prior name as their dead name. Yeah. And it's just such a really interesting parallel to me. Oh, absolutely. Because you can see how upset it makes him and how uncomfortable he is right. with Cisco and Judzia hearing it, especially. And he's not really sure how to say, you know what, don't call me that anymore, please, without it being as firm as it needs to be in their company. I think they probably would have stood up for him if they knew the situation. But Yeah. Nah, that's really awesome. And, you know, and it's so, I never thought when I was younger and when I was coming out, it was around, I guess, sometime during DS9 into Voyager Mm. in the 90s. And so I never thought that Star Trek would have, we would have these kind of, these in-depth conversations about what we're all going through right now in relationship to, you know, Star Trek, but much less past Star Trek. Yeah. And that's true. And then, of course, we get to Discovery and current fandom and current real representation there on screen, and we don't have to read into it quite so much anymore. Right. I enjoy reading into it, but it is really nice and rewarding to not have to. Yeah, because there's like a little when we're reading into it more, or as you said, with TNG, how it was just so it was such what I kind of see as closeted representation. Mm hmm or filtered representation through producers that were too afraid to do the right thing. I agree with that. (laughs) That now it's almost like there's a lot of less pressure now. It's like some of the pressure has been let out of the room Mm -hmm. and we actually get to see ourselves more. Yeah. Like authentically. Yeah, you don't have to go looking for it. It's nice to know that it just exists in that future. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. Wow. Yeah. That's great. (laughs) And I mean, there's nothing wrong with reading into it and to connecting to a character in that way, because that's that's something that every single fan is going to do differently. We might all be in the same room with the same favorite character, but we all have a different reason for why. And it's not always a representation issue. Sometimes you just like the character. So it's kind of cool to compare as far as subtext goes. But yeah, no, it's great with Discovery to not have to do all that work. Oh, yeah. And I'm really hoping we get a lot more... In, in new Trek that's coming up too. I really want to see a lot more of the colors of the spectrum represented. Yeah. I'm really hoping for a non-binary character that's not an alien. Me too. But I do like the aliens, so I can't I can't talk too much, but yeah. That would be nice. Well, you know, I talked with Emily Coots briefly at STLV last year. Mm-hmm. And she was talking about how she really thinks Detmer's bisexual. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I love that idea. Yeah, that would be nice. Yeah. 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 And just going back to STLV real quick, did we meet at STLV last year? Or did we just see each other in the hallways maybe? Or I'm sure that I passed you in the hall, but then I somehow we became Facebook friends. So we must have talked at least briefly because I try not to add just people I haven't spoken to. So I'm (laughs) sure we did. Yeah, I did that a little bit and... It's always funny to see Star Trek fans pop up and you're like, oh, I didn't know that you held those political opinions and I didn't know that you felt this way about certain things. Okay. It is shocking (laughs) sometimes, isn't it? Yeah. It is. Yeah. So I also feel like at STLV, you're a very popular person in the hallway. I'm sure that everybody's stopping you for pictures, right? Um, It's become more 
so in the last few years. Um, originally, I just kind of, I, I was, uh, I cosplayed with a friend and my friend did way more impressive costumes than I did. So I got to kind of relax and see how it worked. And now I feel like I'm more prepared to be like, okay, it's going to take this long to walk down the hall and I have an autograph at this time. Let's start moving. Yeah. So um, it, it's nice to have a few years of experience. And you say popular, but I know most of the people that stop me, which is nice. I mean, I, it's great to meet new people as well that are just like, oh, you look cool. Can I take your picture? But I really do know a lot of the people there and I don't get to see them except for there. So I don't mind them stopping and chatting because it's really the only chance we get to catch up oh yeah last year was my first stlv at the rio i had gone many oh, many yeah. many many years ago like 20 years ago at the hilton for like for like half of a day barely even i saw john delancey speak and that's about it 20 years ago <laughs> perfect <laughs> and this year last year actually a year ago in 2019 yeah i was was put into a scant by some friends i was bescanted and it just changed my freaking life forever. I think that's how I met you. I'm <laughs> sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They lent me a disco scant that they had made. And I was just like, this feels really, 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 really good. And I kind of never want to take it off. <laughs> I'm definitely sure that's how I met you then. Because I'll always stop when I see a scant uniform. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Something about a man in a scant. <laughs> Yeah, and the Discovery one was a brand new, unique take, yeah. but you can kind of see it within the context of the costumes we know. So that was really intriguing. Yeah, that, that's definitely how we met. I remember now. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, I, I digress. I get off track. You're, you're so much fun to talk to. That's okay. That's okay. I'm having fun. <laughs> Me too. I'm going to move on to question three now. Okay. So obviously, Star Trek is a place, as we've talked about a little bit, where we as fans feel safe and heard and seen. And for those of us fortunate enough to have been able to go to conventions and meet lots of other Star Trek fans and actors and other creatives in real life, there's this wonderful feeling when our personal universe expands with other people that like the same thing that we do. In that experience, what have you personally learned from other fans and people in the Star Trek universe? I feel like you've you've really already covered it, but my main <laughs> takeaway is just that it's, it's such an inclusive environment. Uh, my main avenues for the fandom are online or at Star Trek only events like the cruise or a, a convention that's specific to Star Trek. I've been to a couple of general conventions and the atmosphere just isn't the same. When you come into a Star Trek specific one, it really feels like the vast majority of fans are accepting and celebrating differences and are existing kind of peacefully alongside each other. Even if we don't understand each other, we can we can all celebrate the same event. And it really feels like we're striving for that, even if it's only for a weekend. Um, so that's that's really my main takeaway. And then it seems as though a lot of the actors and creators really buy into what they're selling, if that makes sense. Like they know mm -hmm. what they're putting on screen and they know how important that vision is. So talking to a lot of them too really gives you the feeling that you're looking up to the right people, that you're admiring the right I guess they're celebrities, but admiring the right crowd of people. Nice. And I've heard you mention before that, you know, you struggle with, you know, some anxiety and shyness and all that kind of stuff. And I know that that's, for me, at least anyway, that's very common socially, because I'm a total nerd and, yeah, and, and, and rather introverted in certain social situations. But I know that in the Star Trek universe, especially at conventions, and when cosplaying, there's a way to kind of flip that on its head a little bit. And it kind of, 
it's not that it goes away, but my perspective on it changes just because I feel more comfortable. Yeah. No, I can certainly see that. I feel um, a lot, I feel a lot braver when I'm dressed up because I have some aspect of the character with me in a way. And I feel like I can carry on a conversation with somebody instead of just kind of be nervous and shrink away. I mean, I still get nervous and overwhelmed, but it does help. And it helps that we all are there to celebrate the same. We'll have that passion that we can share. Because a lot of the time, me getting overwhelmed is just because I'm so passionate. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. And I had on a previous episode, I interviewed Heather Wood, who's a Star Trek drag queen. I don't know if you know who she is. Yeah. Of course you do. I do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, she that episode actually, as of this re- date of this recording, hasn't come out. It comes out tomorrow. But by the mm. time that you listeners are hearing this, it will have already been out. And we talked a lot about how the elements of drag and Star Trek just kind of seamlessly go together, which is why I think... Also with cosplaying, it also just kind of seems to make sense to dress up and play pretend as somebody else. Yeah, I can I can definitely see that. I think that's a great analogy because I think in the drag scene too, a lot of the drag queens might not be that bold and confident in their daily lives. And that kind of the costume lends them some of that attitude. And I think the same way about cosplay. Yeah, it's not really that different. I mean, cosplay is a form of drag, you know, it's like RuPaul, we're all born naked and the rest is drag. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. You know, everything's kind of drag when you think about it. (laughs) Yeah, and you might as well do something that you enjoy or connect to a show that you love instead of just dress up every day, you know? Yeah, yeah. All right, let's move on to question number four. As a Trek fan, what would your message be to other young fans who are still discovering their own identity and may feel a safety within Trek that they might not experience yet in their own external world? Well, I'll say I I don't really experience that in my local settings either, so I can definitely relate. Um, it's weird to even say out loud sometimes, but I understand how you're feeling. I think that connecting to other fans is a key way to realize that you're not the only one out there. Nobody can take away the characters that you identify with. See, I told you I was going to start crying. And um, oh, that's okay. This is a safe space. <laughs> okay. Um, if humanity is kind of, I think we're on the verge of changing our trajectory a little bit. And if we do that in the right way, the future that you're seeing on the screen will happen. Oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) Please don't apologize. Yeah. But um, yeah, no, I think that's about it. Star Trek always makes me cry. It just takes longer (laughs) some days than others. (laughs) You are not alone in that. One of my very good friends, Brandy Jacola, she's a very sensitive, empathic person. And she has the same experiences I do, Not, not to the same frequency. But I love that how personal it feels to take something that's fiction yeah that's 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 not real that doesn't exist and and want to 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 put that into this world and see that it's possible with people like you yeah and people like us you know we can make that happen Mm -hmm. and i do i agree i think that we are on i think that we're at a big moment where we can make the right choices in order to see that world yeah Yeah, I think so too. And I think the more people that are involved in Star Trek and that see its message and understand it is achievable, 
maybe not to the same technological standpoint, but at least to the civil standpoint, it is achievable. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Wow, Sally. <laughs> okay. I'm going to try and stop crying. What, what's next? <laughs> <laughs> well, Sally, this may be very confusing for you. I know that you may think that there are four questions here, but there are actually five questions. Ah, good old Cardassian trick. All right. <laughs> Interesting, right? Since you're the Cardassian here. Yeah. Yeah. See, see what happens? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So this question comes from my friend Janessa Quijarda, who also comments a lot on the other podcasts. She's also a member of the queer community. Well, she asked, do you do any gender-bent cosplay, which is already a given. Yes. The answer is yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Are there any impossible characters that you would aspire to if you were giving an un- if you were given an unlimited budget and you could get anything and everything that you would possibly need what would that impossible character be Oh man that might take me a long time to answer I don't know what to give you right off the top of my head um God. I feel like most of the prosthetics are fairly achievable I'm enjoying Lower Deck so far because we're seeing less humanoid-styled aliens, and those might prove to be difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know if they're impossible, though. And then as soon as I think of one, I'm like, oh, I saw someone do that in Vegas. So <laughs> clearly somebody can figure it out. Like what species? Eight, is it 8742? 8472. Someone's been a Tholian. It's like... Oh, my God. Yeah. It's like people have already done these things. So clearly it's possible. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. I'll just give you one that I'm looking forward to doing then, I guess, or that it's been challenging and kind of nagging at me for a while, is I've wanted to do Jedzia's wedding dress. And I have materials that I think would work. I just, it didn't look as show-stopping as I wanted it to. So if I had, I guess, unlimited resources to try and improve that, I would really make sure to get those fabrics just as shiny and... I think the dress is like a leather underneath it. They all have such great texture to them that you might struggle to find in just secondhand clothes. So I guess that probably. Oh, I love it. Yeah. Oh, you've got to do it. It's got to happen. It's so beautiful. I've tried. I've I've got this great set of curtains that have like the gold diamond pattern on it that would work for the sleeves. But then I need to figure out the train and the dress kind of difficult. So, yeah, I don't know. I think that's a cool, a really cool design, though. I like that too. I think that'd be great. Well, Sally, thanks again for joining me today. It's been so wonderful talking with you. Yeah, you too. I really did have so much fun. Yeah, I really love getting the perspective, especially of people that, are, that you know, I, I don't know, It's there's been a trend lately with a, couple, a little bit more conversation towards the LGBTQ plus community. And I think it's because we're getting more representation in Star Trek. Mm-hmm. But to get down to the bones of what really makes us as fans tick and what we really want to see, what we've been waiting for for so long, what we mm-hmm. still want, I feel like there's just such a need for that conversation to be happening right now. There is. And if I can, I forgot to mention one of my favorite DS9 aspects, because it's it's the one that I see people have an adverse reaction to most often. So I'm hoping that as a culture, we're about to change that. I know you've seen the show. So when when Kira moves in with the O'Briens, a lot of people take take a question with that. And they're a little uncomfortable by that. And I think it's a, a really good supportive poly relationship, but we don't seem to be there as a society yet to discuss that. Right. But I really, really think it's well written that they're all encouraging to each other. And I just really love that. They're really special to me. Oh, yeah, I like that. So I just wanted to to make sure I said that. That's so funny. I hadn't made that connection either. But maybe it's because of the time period that it came out. 
I think that is a lot of it. And like I said, because I came into it equipped with the subtext that fans perceived, I right. had that vision when I watched it. I was like, oh, okay, this is clearly meant to mean this. And you might not have come across that if you're seeing it for the first time as it airs. Right. And just, you know, barely knowing my own identity at the time myself. Oh, same. Yeah, me too. I mean, I didn't watch it as it aired, but the first time I saw it, I needed a lot of help figuring stuff out. And I think it's a great resource for that. What's incredible to me in this conversation with you is that you mentioned that it was 09 that brought you into Star Trek. Mm -hmm. And so you've had basically a decade to school yourself on all things Trek, and you've just consumed it all and absorbed it and then made it your own threw yourself into it. And it's incredible to see that in such a short amount of time, what an impact the franchise has had on you. And then again, what you're doing out in the Star Trek community. Yeah, thank you. I would love to get more people into it as enthusiastically as I am. Just like I said, tying into the hope for a better future. The more people that are excited about it, the better. Absolutely. Well, Sally, please tell our listeners where they can find you online and feel free to plug any of your stuff and projects and all that. I certainly will. So I am on Facebook as Thrift Trek because it's kind of a journey that I'm going on. You can see detailed tutorials of all of my projects. You can ask questions. Um, so that's where I have my main text-based descriptions. I'm also on Twitter, but of course there's less text there, but I'm there as Thrifty Trekkie, where you can see photos of my process. I'll do a project one day and I'll take a bunch of step-by-step -step photos that you can follow along with. And I get some questions there too. It's a really good forum for that. Um, I also am on Archive of Our Own as KJ Gooding, G-O-O-D-I-N-G. That's where I've had my fanfiction repository for the last decade or so. Prior to that, I did use fan fiction, but I don't anymore. So go to the archive of our own. I think that just about covers all of my fandom aspects. Nice. Well, Sally, I think you're amazing. And I'm so glad that you that you made time to, to talk with me today. Thank you. That means a lot coming from you. <laughs> my pleasure. And you keep on doing what you're doing. And I'm, I'm so glad we got to we got to meet. Me too. Thank you. And next time I see you in the hall, I'll actually stop and we'll have a nice talk. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. Thank you, Chris. All right. You can join the There Are Four Questions conversation on Twitter and Facebook by following us at Four Questions Trek. That's the number four not spelled out. And join our listeners group on Facebook by typing the Nexus into the search field. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at CD Littlefield. Keep an eye out for my next interview coming very soon. Thanks for listening to There Are Four Questions. I see no point in holding you further. You may go. Oh my gosh, that was so easy. Like, you're so great. You're so great and easy to talk to. Oh my gosh. And thanks for letting me like dive really deep in everything. I like talking about the real shit and like, you know, this is the kind of stuff that changes people's lives. People don't, you know, especially like young people, if they're listening to podcasts or whatever, and they just stumble on something, you never know who's gonna who's gonna hear something that might encourage them. This show is brought to you by Hollow Sweet Media. Computer. List other available Holosuite media programs. Loading Holosuite preview program for Open Channel, a Star Trek community podcast. That makes the uniforms 
Well, no, it doesn't. Because the DS9 crew are wearing not the gray uniforms yet. Right. So those don't quite line up either. Huh. Uh-oh. Cannon police. Mm-mm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we could go down the rabbit hole, but oh, why? Because it's a cartoon. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's, it's a TV show, really. Yeah, exactly. Agreed. <laughs> it's, it's really cool, so don't care. Loading Sweet preview program for The Vedic Assembly, a DS9 podcast. What flavor would I Jello that hasn't set yet. Yeah, flavor, he would be orange. You reckon he'd be orange flavored? He'd be orange flavored. Like just because he's got orange goo? Yeah, exactly. Okay. I mean, it would be weird if he were a flavor and he were orange colored goo and you tasted it and it was like lime. That would be disconcerting. I'd be surprised. So, yes. He's... But I say like, like <laughs> bitter orange, you know? Yeah. Bitter orange Like a blood orange. Yeah. Blood orange Odo. Yes. Oh, now I would totally eat Odo Let's do now. that. <laughs> Loading Sweet preview program for The Janeway, a Star Trek Voyager podcast. But then again, senior officer meeting, why is Harry Kim in there? He's an ensign. Because he is the senior ops bridge person. I don't know. Yeah, but that's what doesn't make sense to me. If he's like the senior ops person, does that mean everyone below him is just a crewman? He's a crewman. <laughs> because he can't boss even Lieutenant Junior grades around. Oh my gosh. So their ops department is just a mess because it's just crewmen. Oh, it's a mess also. That explains a lot. Yeah, actually, it does, doesn't it? About Voyager. Computer, deactivate Holosuite.